Alrighty, shalom, welcome back, going up. Okay, so we are in the middle of the block party right now. I am your host, Shomer Man, mixing it up on the ones and twos. You know what it do. Okay, sorry, I got caught up in the moment. Feel like I was, you know, it's a block party. You know, I gotta get, gotta get into it. You know, right? Okay, so Midrash get you some page three twelve footnote on the day of judgment. Each individual will be rebuked according to his personality, circumstances, and temptations. Although several people may have performed the same external, I said, although several people have performed the same external act, their judgments will differ according to the circumstances. Yeah, that's crazy, right? I mean, same act, but different uh, meanings. This is why the phrase Hashem knows my heart or God knows my heart or Yeshua knows my heart can be so dangerous because it's like, well, yeah, he does. So be careful with that. But it says thus Bilam was silenced because he acted on a level far below the one expected of someone who was as wise as he was. Our sages studied, now I'm on page 313, our sages studied each Torah narrative with the object of applying its lesson to their lives. Say what? By the way, the sages are called the Chazal. The sages are people that are in the line of, you know, Hosea, Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Mordecai, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joshua, Eli, Shamuel, David, Shlomo. Like, those are sages. Because the sages is a group of people who were entrusted with the preserving and the transmission of what's called the oral Torah, a.k.a. Torah Sheba Al-Peh, which is called Zafanat Paneach, which is what Yosef was called by Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians in Bereshit when he was in Parashat Miketz and became ruled as king. And they were like, he is the decipher of the hidden. He is the code breaker. He is the hidden face. So that's what Zaphonat Paneach means. And uh, so, yes, that's what the oral Torah is, because it's it's what interprets all of the written Torah, because without an oral Torah, you find yourself in the place of this week's Torah portion going, what is the deal with Balaam? Like, is he righteous or is he not? Is he for Hashem and the Jews or is he not? And it's just like, well, if you read about homeboy, through Zaphonat Paneach and look into the code, uh, you'll find out that, oh my gosh, this guy, what in the world? Which is what we're reading some of right now. So anyway, uh, you just need to know that the Chazal, aka the sages, Chazal, okay, Chazal, Chazal is sages. We're doing Hebrew right now. All right, Hebrew lessons. You're welcome. Let's go. Okay. Our sages, 
Chazal studied each Torah narrative with the object of applying its lesson to their lives. See, that's the thing. You think about how when we were Christians or when we were anything other than Lapid, come on. We had like this whole thing about devotional, you know, and like what is the principle that we should walk by? All this kind of stuff going on, right? So when you come into Torah and Judaism, it's just like, yeah, where is all the practical steps and, you know, some musar, you know, some personal self-examination, better yourself. It's just like, yeah, that's happening as you study the Torah. So there's this one time where like when you're hearing words of Torah, you should hearken to them, take them to heart, cause them to have a harvest in your lives. And they should take root in your soul and you should like grow and like change and like be different. Uh, and there's this whole thing that Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael, come on, that he drops down saying, may the illumination be transformation or may our DNA be transformed into Hashem's DNA, which would be the Torah as we're reading it. And so if we're not praying that over ourselves, which I like to add that we should yearn for purity. Tehillim. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to swerve. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry, people. Tehillim chapter two. This is the yearn for purity drosh in the middle of the Balak and Balaam drosh. What is the deal? It's like if I want to talk about these two guys, I got to talk about Shuba. Tehillim 2.12 You may see, in some translation, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. But if you look in the big green book, the Midrash on the Tehillim, or Sefer Yarok, it says yearn for purity, to yearn for purity of heart, to wholeheartedly accept the yoke of his anointed Oh, you mean like take my yoke up on you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, which is the yoke. There is no other yoke than Torah. That's the kingdom of Hashem. Okay, so that's right here. Tehillim 2.12. Yep, Psalm 2.12. That's where we're at right now. Just ridiculous. Okay, anyway, it says, lest he become angry and you will lose your way when his anger flares for even a moment. Praised are all who put their trust in him. So you mean to tell me if you are a person who yearns for purity and wholeheartedly accepts the yoke of Mashiach, then that would be putting your trust in him? That's cool. Side note to the side note that we're on is that his anger flaring for a moment, that moment of anger that that Hashem would have that would flare, that was the greatness of Balaam, is he knew moments. He knew Hashem. Like, he was able to determine, okay, is this a moment of chesed or is this a moment of judgment? Because you realize that throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout time, there are times that are, like, ideal to, uh, you know, approach Hashem and and things like that. And there's also times that you just really don't want to, you know, step out of line. You really don't want to step out of line anyway. But 
there's this whole cycle and phase of times of judgment, times of grace, times of judgment, times of grace. And it's just like, wow. We can even see that with Yeshua. He's saying, you know, Hashem didn't send the Son of Man in the world to judge it. He sent me here to save it, you know. But when he returns, I mean, he's already come for saving it. Now it's time to judge. And it's just like he's going to come with his angels and, you know, this party is going to get shut down. So, yeah, so make the shuba. So anyway, this whole thing about transformation illumination, there's all that right there. So kissing the sun is all about yearning for purity. So if you ever kiss a mezuzah, if you kiss your tefillin, if you kiss your sidur, if you kiss your tanakh, if you kiss your Bible, if you kiss your whatever source that is feeding you Torah, words of life, literally, Aleph Tav, get you some. If you're kissing that, you're yearning for purity. You're asking Hashem to turn your DNA into his DNA. You're asking Hashem to grant you spiritual armor to stand firm in the day of evil. You're asking Hashem to equip you with powerful weapons that are mighty to pull down strongholds, spiritual strongholds, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. And really to mikvah you. There's this beautiful thing about when you are kissing the word of Hashem or the manifestation of Hashem, then you would, in a, in a sense, be taking that which is the most intimate part of your body, your lips, and connecting that to a true mikvah. Because you realize Hashem is a mikvah. Like his word literally is a mikvah. Again, the word is water. Hashem himself is called the Hope of Israel. If you read in Jeremiah, and it also says in the Hebrew that this word for hope is actually mikvah. So a gatherings, a gathering of waters, which is what a mikvah is, which by the way, the weight of the mikvah and the weight of the tablets and the weight of the staff are all the same. Forty se'ah is the measurement. So if you have a mikvah, you've literally brought yourself into Torah or you're hanging on to the staff of Moshe. So for what that's all worth, there you go. Um, so anyway, the Chazal, whenever they're studying Torah, whenever we're studying Torah, we should understand that as we're reading these narratives, that they are the object of the of these lessons and all of these insights is really uh, to apply to our lives. Like we should not just go, oh, yeah, I read the Torah portion or, oh, yeah, I read that insight. And, oh, yeah, I heard that before. And. Uh, any of those tangents, if you do that, that by default means you haven't applied it to your life. So apply it. So obviously I need to work on this because sometimes I go, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, no, no, no. Oh man, I'm hearing that. Oh my gosh. Change me, Hashem. Change me right now. You know, I don't need to be obviously that crazy outgoing with it, but I mean, well, maybe I do. I don't know. I probably do. I got a lot of Kleepa to break up. So break it down. Okay. So anyway, um, apply all of these insights to your life. Don't just let them sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that was nice. Or that was a wonderful experience. 
Because that's what happens a lot. When you are faced with Torah, Judaism, and all things Jewish, you're like, oh my gosh, that was a wonderful experience. I sat at an Arab Shabbat table. I ate the challah. Oh my goodness, candle lighting was so beautiful. Oh my gosh, the wine. Oh my gosh, the music. Oh my gosh, Shabbat. Oh my gosh, Shul. Oh my gosh, Yom Kippur. Oh my gosh, Hanukkah. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness, Purim. What? The Megillah? Get you some? Okay. These are not just little cultural experiences, okay? They're meant to transform your life, okay? Transform our life. Baruch Hashem, yearn for purity. May illumination be transformation. May this word truly enter into our souls and cause us to have that vessel. Again, last segment I was talking about this, so I don't need to go too much into it, but... With this whole 17th of Tammuz, Tishba'af, window, that which was destructive can be that which is joyous and grateful, you know, about it. So if we can take a morning time and be like, yeah, I messed up before, but I ain't doing that no more. Know that, believe that, trust that. Help me, Hashem. You know, you got to add that in there. You know, you can't just be like all cocky and arrogant about it. You got to be like humble. But anyway, can I finish this point? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try. So from Bilam's embarrassment, they learned that the greater a person's abilities, the greater his responsibility to use them in Hashem's service. All right. Great. Don't play around. With great power comes great responsibility. That's why, Avengers, y'all all need to be bringing it like y'all are. So thank you. Bless you. All right, Brook Shim. So, the other thing, there's a guy. Well, he's a rabbi. His name is Rabbi Wolby. I haven't given him a nickname yet. But, um, he kind of is like this, almost like a sweep the leg type rabbi. So, Rabbi Leg Sweep. There we go. All right, Rabbi Leg Sweep. His name is Rabbi Wolby. And he has something called the Parsha Project. And if you can at all get on his podcast, oh my goodness, you will be mind blown. So Rabbi Leg Sweep here comes in talking about Bilam and saying that, you know, Bilam was like super like uh, gifted, super talented, super anointed but he was super unrefined oh my goodness so he goes into this thing of how if you really compare rabbi or sleek if you really compare bilam to moshe i mean it's a neck and neck competition midrashim galore at some point in your studies on parsha balak you will find that it's there's this whole thing about the nation said, oh, no, it's not here. Okay, I saw nations on my page, and I was about to be like, look, it's right here. But anyway, it says the nation said, had we had a prophet like Moshe, we would have accepted the Torah. We could have been like the Jews. The Jews aren't special, whatever, you know, kind of stuff. And it's just like, okay. Hashem was like, okay, obviously this was aimed at Hashem. So Hashem was like, okay, you think if I gave you a prophet like Moshe, then you would be able to rise to the level of children of Israel, if not even greater. And they're like, yeah, of course, I could do that. We could do that. 
So he gives him Bilam. Bilam was given the same scope and range as Moshe was given. But the thing is, Moshe was humble, which made him be able to excel in such levels of greatness. Because when you're humble, again, you're empty of yourself and you can really be all things to all men. Hmm, maybe that verse is a little different than we originally thought. But anyway, um, so I'm just kidding. Don't really go there. All right, let's stay on track here. So Bilam, though, wants to be all things. And he's just like, yeah, we can be spiritual, too, I guess. Maybe. Yes, it's a good idea, but not really. Because really, you know, we need to be all about what we want. What's the desires of our heart? And let's do that. And it's just like, okay, so that's the leader of the nations. The leader of Israel is like, Hashem, what did you want? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Oh, yeah, a little louder? Okay, cool. Just making sure, because you said it twice, so that means it's emphatic. But you said it once, which means that that really is what we need to do. So we really don't need you to repeat anything. But just because you did, that makes it doubly binding now. And now I'm going to have to now go repeat that. And so that's going to make it extra binding. So that's cool. So whatever Hashem says, that's fine. And Hashem's like, great, this is going to be called the Torah of Moshe now. Because even though I give it to him... He's not going to dilute it down or change it or alter it in any form whatsoever. It might as well be his Torah, even though it's my Torah. But him and I are so like linked up that it's just like, yeah, sure. Torah Moshe, that's fine. Torah Vashem, that's Torah Moshe. Yeah, that's cool. So anyway, I mean, that's the the incredible uh, contrast here. So anyway, Rabbi Leg Sweep is bringing down that... Um, you know, Bilam was opened up for a greater potential of sin because his character did not refine to the level of the greatness that was bestowed upon him, which now let's go ahead and apply this lesson. So if you know that you've been anointed, gifted and talented and your character is not being refined, you're going to be given to sin in a greater measure. So, um, Let's be careful and let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Okay, so that's that. I have opened the Targum Yonatan on Bamit Bar 22, verse 22. So if you ever wondered that, okay, let's do some compare and contrast here again. The man riding on his donkey that he saddled early in the morning, taking two of his attendants with him. If that sounds interesting, well, go back to Bereshit 22. And you see that Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father, Avinu means our father. Or you can say Abba, which is what the Ruach adopts us to be able to cry out. You know, so you realize that through the Ruach, you know, it's almost like you've been birthed by the mother, you know, like a the spirit is like almost like the mother bringing forth the children. And like Hashem is our father. He's the wisdom. He's the, the fear that we have within us and the love that overflows from us, you know, because Ahava and uh, is love and that equals 13. So we're going in Gematria now, okay? So numerical value to each word. So the word 
love or ahava is equal to the number 13 hashem is called echad like he is one like everything about hashem is one unity there is no other there is no trinity there's just one it's echad i know it's hard to explain but at any point if god was simple to explain he would by default not be god so let's okay with that all right so if you are birthed by the spirit and then you're overflowing in ahava so you're calling upon your abba so anyway i just wanted to bring that out so Abraham has two attendants saddling his donkey, taking his son, which, by the way, his son was not counted as two of his attendants. The two attendants that Abraham had are Eliezer and Yishmael. I know. Crazy, right? Because Yishmael is supposed to be Abraham's son. Only Eliezer was Abraham's servant. But it's just like, no. Yishmael is a servant as well, which is why if you go to Galatians, the whole drop about sons of the son of the slave woman and son of the free woman, that takes on a whole new meaning because Yishmael is not technically a son, even though he's a son, he's more of a slave. Or Hakim brings us down Parshachaye Sarah that when Abraham gave over all of his inheritance and his possessions to Yitzhak so that Eliezer could go take the document to uh, Rachel or Slika, Rivka's brother, um, what was his name? The father of Laban. I'm blanking on his name right now. Anyway, I don't have that in front of me, but he goes and takes that document. I know I can go get it, but kind of running short on time here. Uh, so he goes and that documentation, one of the prescriptions in that document says that, oh, yeah, Yitzhak inherited Yishmael as a servant. That's kind of crazy. So anyway, all that to say that it was Abraham saddled his own donkey he woke up early in the morning to do this, took his two attendants with him and his son. And his son, there was no one like his son. His son was born by miraculous intervention through Hashem, causing Sarah to become pregnant and causing Sarah to become like a youth. And Abraham being able to bring forth seed to uh, be conceived in Sarah. So, I mean, there's a picture, even though it's kind of foggy, I realize, and kind of not really the same, but a little bit of the miraculous birth. Because, you know, Yeshua HaMashiach was brought forth by a miraculous birth through the Ruach HaKodesh conceiving the spirit within Miriam. And through that, the birth of the son, you know, came forth in that. Okay. Anyway, way off track. So Abraham is with his two attendants and Yitzhak, his son, and they're going to the crucifixion. I mean, the Akedah. I mean, the Midrash Rabbah calls the Akedah a crucifixion. So that's why it says he placed the wood on Yitzhak, his son, just like someone who's led to their own crucifixion. 
So I don't know how that got in Jewish writing. And, and it's like, so when Yeshua is carrying his own crucifixion stake and he needed help carrying it, and at some point they brought in Shimeon, which Shimeon, which is Simon of Cyrene. And it's like, okay, so they bring in this guy, the root of his name, Shimeon, means Shema. So the Shema is what helps you carry your crucifixion stake. And it's like, oh, yeah, if you want to be my follower, you got to carry your crucifixion stake. And it's like, yeah, if you want to be my follower, you got to do the Shema. It's not this whole, what in the world does carrying your cross mean? You know, like, first of all, it wasn't a cross. Oh my goodness. Now we got to talk about the cross. Because the cross is not Jewish. It is Constantinian. Who is Constantinian? Oh, that's Rome. Constantine. That's a guy who had a dream about a sword being overlaid by a dagger. And it was just like, yeah, this is a wonderful emblem. And we got so many people right now trying to be religious. We got so many people right now trying to be political. We got so many people right now just doing their own crazy thing, worshiping all these other gods. And the Jews have just kind of hit off to themselves. And so to make everything work out in a unified way we need to become universal we need to flow in politics with religion with pagan practices and we're going to do it through the sword and the dagger i.e the cross that's where the cross comes from the cross is that you don't believe me that's cool read constantine's sword uh, there's probably other sources, but that's one of them because the cross was never anywhere in Judaism. It's never anywhere in Torah. The word is eights or staros or tree in Hebrew context. So, you know, Mashiach was put to death on a tree, not on a cross. Just saying. By the way, I mean, while we're at it and digging into a whole bunch of stuff right now, we there's so many different um uh, commentaries scholarly commentaries that you can look up um that talk about how no one really knows what Mashiach was crucified on you know we don't really have lots of record uh from that time frame because you know the first century was pretty intense to say the least people dying all the time because you know there's this guy named Mashiach Yeshua and he apparently had a fight with Pharisees and Sadducees and the temple got destroyed. I mean, and babies got killed and oh, it was just horrible. So probably not a lot of historical booking going on because people are dying. It's just like run away. It's crazy out here. Hide your kids, hide your wives. OK, anyway. Wow. This is a lot of story time, but. That is that. So now we got the picture in this week's Torah portion of Bilam with his two attendants waking up early in the morning, saddling his own donkey, headed to a mountain to kill the son of God. I mean, the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, son of God, because remember the son of Israel, Israel is a euphemism for Mashiach. If you're in Mashiach, you're in the Son of God, which means you are a son of God. You've been adopted as sons by the Ruach HaKodesh. Just saying. Anyway, so that's all going on. And uh, it's just like, Belam, you realize this is not an Akedah. First of all, you want to curse these people. You don't want to bless them. Second of all, you hate these people. You don't want to bless them. Like, what are you doing? 
And it's just like, well, that's cool because you waking up early in the morning is not nothing new. Abraham already did that, so he trumps you on that one. Uh, you're saddling your own donkey, taking your two attendants, and it's just like, yeah, Abraham did that. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Targum Yonatan says the two attendants of Bilam were Janice and Jambres. Okay. So, again, Jonas and Jambres, where do we see those homeboy homeboys at? All right. So, we see them in 2 Timothy 3, 6. For some of them worm their way into homes and get controlled of weak-willed women who are heaped with sins. By the way, the only way to be a weak-willed woman is to be a woman and to be heaped with sins and swayed by various impulses. Okay, because I did a whole drosh on that about people who were like, I know Shaul did not just call me a weak-willed woman. I will come over there and I will cut you. I will make your will weak. But, okay, anyway, back to the text says in verse 7, who are always learning but never able to come to full knowledge of the truth. Okay, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to full knowledge. I mean, you can learn so much. Like, Bilam was so wise. Like, he knew so much, but he never came to a knowledge of the truth, which is Hashem is the one true God, except his Torah, except his yoke, and walk in his ways. Like, what is the sum of of the life of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. I mean, Shlomo laid it out so beautifully for us with Ecclesiastes, which is called Kohelet. And yeah, he was probably a Magi to the Levites, but you know, apparently the Levites weren't listening because if we all acted like Levites and listened to the Magi, the preacher of Kohelet, then we would all know, follow Hashem's commandment and quit playing around and being crazy. If Hashem said do it, it's probably because we should do it. It's not just something he's just going, I wonder what they'll do if I tell them that uh, they should not eat pork. Let me see them just go crazy. Okay, here we go. Oh, are they going to do it? Oh, they didn't eat pork. Oh, look at that. Look at that. He's not just having a cosmic joyride. Like, what is this? You know, he's not watching a movie. It's just like he gave us his Torah because that is who he is. Like the Torah is Hashem's essence. Like, if you want to know who Hashem is, if you want to know the will of God for your life, literally, that is the Torah. So, I mean, Hashem gave us this, and it's like out in the open, but it's like it's revealed but concealed. It's only concealed because we're supposed to dive into it and search it out. You walk up to a puddle, and you don't know how deep it is, especially if you can't see the bottom. You know, because there is those little memes where people like jump in a puddle and it ends up being like three feet deep or something, you know. But the Torah is like this ocean. No, the Torah isn't ocean. My bad. The Torah is an ocean and you jump into it. It is super deep. I mean, Leviathan has trouble like swimming through this thing, you know, and that's pretty big. So anyway, all that to say that we need to listen to Hashem and quit playing around. So let's not be people who are always learning and never able to come to a full knowledge of truth. Because why? The next verse in Second Timothy says, in the same way as Jonas and Jambres, 
oppose Moshe, so also these people oppose the truth. They are, they are, they are people with corrupted minds whose trust cannot pass the test. However, they won't get very far because everyone will see how stupid they are, just as happened with those two. Okay, so you're linked to Janice and Jambres if you are like thinking you're so wise, but you don't want to follow Torah and you're filled with the spirit, but you don't follow Torah and you're doing all this stuff, believing in God and all that kind of stuff, but you're not really obeying him. I mean, you link yourself with these guys. And the thing is, these guys are the sons of Bilam. So Bilam took his two sons to go and kill the sons of God. And that's like, Bilam, if you're trying to recreate a picture of the Akedah, this is the wrong way to go about it. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but I want to get this money. I mean, I want to uh, help out Balak. And it's just like, but you tried to destroy Balak like a while back. Okay, are we finally getting into Midrash? I think we are. Okay. Which, by the way, I just had this pulled up and I just want to go ahead and share it. Bilam would represent Yaakov, which is James chapter 3, 10. It says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Okay, so we don't need to be like that. You know, it says, with the tongue we praise our Father and our Lord and our Father, as James 3, 9. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. You know, because you realize the children of Israel literally are made in the likeness of Hashem because they're Mashiach. You know, like the body of many, body of many members. You know, that body that Bilam is trying to curse is the image of Hashem. So he's like, I'm going to curse the image of Hashem. That's great. She's just like, oh, that's not smart, man. Like, what are you doing? And Hashem's like, that's cool. I, I'll take care of it. When you try to curse, I'm going to make it a blessing. And um, so we have another violent lady in our shul. I'm going to go ahead and call her Captain Marvel. So we have a Captain Marvel in our shul. And she said, you know, yep, I just named a Avenger on the site here. But anyway, uh, so she said that, you know, God really protected Belam. Because, you know, when you curse somebody, that comes back on you. And it's just like, wow, you reap what you sow. Did you really just do that? And you think about the magnitude that Belam had to curse somebody. You know, uh, Rabbi Legsweep likened him. No, 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 not Rabbi Legsweep. Rabbi Blackbeard, a.k.a. the Rabbi Alon Anava. Wonderful chassid, wonderful get you some um, teacher of our day. He basically said, you know, uh, Belam himself was like having a nuclear bomb. You know, like in the spirit, like if you needed anything to be completely destroyed, you go to this guy, which means Balak. What in the world, dude? Like you really went there to go get this guy for the for the nation of Israel? Like what's going on with that? Well, hopefully in this block party, we'll find out. But, you know, that's the level of who he is. And so if you think about uh, what Captain Marvel was saying, it's just like. If Bilam would have been successful in cursing the people, he would have completely wiped himself out of like this world and the world to come, which 
I mean, he was still pretty much wiped out of this world and the world to come. But at least it wouldn't have been on such a crazy level that it could have been. So it was kind of lessened because he wasn't able to curse. But anyway, I thought that was interesting because the prophecy about Abraham, the prophecy about Yosef is that, you know, those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. You know, it's just like, wow. I mean, not Yosef, Yitzhak. But we know Yosef and Yitzhak are likened because they're extensions of one another because Yaakov, you know. Yaakov looked like Abraham. Yitzhak looked like Abraham. Yosef looked like Yaakov, which Yaakov looked like Abraham, who looked like Yitzhak. So, you know, really, if you think about it, they all looked alike. So it's just kind of like, okay. And for that fact... Yosef would eventually be an Akedah anyway because he was thrown into the pit. And when he was brought up from the pit, it's like into a resurrection. So there's that. Okay, but anyway, don't be a Yaakov 3, 9 through 10. So let's go to some backstory here. So I'm going to save us a little time and I'm going to go ahead and go with Legends of the Yehudim, Legends of the Jews. Uh, right after this uh, little drop from Shonuf Pincus. Uh, where are you at? Okay. So Shonuf Pincus this week, this is what he titles his drosh. This is how you know it's going down. He says, The two Klepot, which are the two forces of evil, that join forces to combat Israel is Balak and Bilam, and they are an anagram, okay, a initial kind of like cross reference parallel of Babel and Amalek. So Amalek is the first people who attacked the children of Israel when they left Mitzrayim in the clouds of glory. Uh, were torn down the first time because they were all like freaking out and so it was just kind of like Amalek came in because the people doubted Hashem and there's that whole thing Amalek is the same gematria as doubt because they doubted doubt came and attacked them and tried to kill them so your doubt is dangerous okay it can take you out so if you don't place your trust in Hashem it does kill you and it's like oh yeah because the whole three weeks of mourning because we doubted Hashem we lost the tablets we lost the land we lost two temples and we lost uh lots of things over time we uh the holocaust that all happened during this time as far as the world war Two and the uh inquisitions and all that kind of stuff like just terrible tragedies so anyway doubt will mess you up and then you got babel babel is the people who were like yeah we don't want to get flooded out no more we're going to build a tower send to the heavens and we're going to make war with Hashem. so it's just like it's completely the opposite of doubt it's like too turned up that you're going to hurt yourself and Hashem was like yeah we're just going to scramble the language up a little bit and disperse the people across the earth because they're all trying to stay together in one spot and work together to destroy their creator now they wouldn't have been able to destroy their creator but they would have made it to the heavenlies which is why Hashem had to come down so there's all sorts of midrashim on that because the tower that they were building was physical and spiritual as well because they were taught by fallen angels who gave them all kinds of insights and things how to make war and stuff like that and so it's just like wow okay ridiculous 
But then you have that the word um, for Babel and the word for Amalek. So Amalek is two words. It's the word kol, which is the word for voice and the word am. So the voice of the am, am is people. So the voice of the people. And then you got Babel, which is the word levav when you spell it backwards, lamed vet vet. And so Levav is heart. So you got the voice of the people and the heart. And so it's just like if you think about your voice that the people will have and the heart that the people will have when they're against Hashem, it's just like, yeah, the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. And if you're contentious already and not trusting in Hashem, then the voice is a riotous voice. Kind of sounds like crucify him, crucify him. So that all goes down. And so it's just like so Bilam and Balak represent Amalek and Babel. So, says that the Klepa, which again, those are forces of impurity, they basically are likened to like if you look at a fruit and you see a hard shell around it. So, uh, let's go with uh, coconut. So, you got a coconut. The outside of a coconut it would be considered a klepa but what's inside the klepa is called sparks of kedusha which are sparks of holiness okay and those are what we need to be extracting through our creation we need to extract sparks of holiness which are called converts we have sparks of mashiach in us and sparks of mashiach have been distributed all through our creation because before uh, the light was brought forth in creation. It says that the earth was formless and void. This is a whole Kabbalistic uh, interp that says that basically the vessels of light of primordial creation, which is creation before creation, which blue screen. So let's stop right there. Uh, those vessels were shattered and broken. And so all those sparks were scattered throughout all of creation. So now the job of man is to tikkun, which means repair. So rebuild, bring in all those sparks, bring in all the converts. So all that to say that the klepa of Amalek. Okay, just to make sure I finish the coconut analogy. The exterior of the coconut would be the klepa, the milk and the meat. The M, I think it's M-E-T-E. Like the actual things you can scrape out of the coconut, that would be considered the kedusha. So, the klepa and the kedusha can be illustrated by something that's like a shell or a casing that needs to be broken through to get to the good stuff. Okay. Anyway, so Bilam and Balak were associated with the klepa of Amalek, and or if you take the Am. Of Bilam and the lock of Balak, what remains is Babel. Wow, that's ridiculous. Spelling out Bilam and Balak, and if you took out parts of their names, which namely is Am and the word lock, which by the way, Kol Am is what those two words end up being that you take out. If you take out of Balak and Bilam, the letters that would form the phrase Kol Am, voice of the people, what you have is Babel. 
that's ridiculous right now man it says so in addition to being associated with the klipa of amalek their names also allude to their association with the klipa of babel who rebelled against hashem in the generation of the dispersion now i want to jump down and swerve over to uh Balak and Bilam, this page three of his commentary, Balak and Bilam, uniting the forces of Babel and Amalek, proposed to prevent the removal of the holy sparks of David Hamelech from Moab. Okay, so there's this whole backdrop they go into about how basically Balak saw that Ultimately, who would descend from him is the king of Israel being David, because through Ruth, the Moabitess, because, you know, Balak, king of Moab, eventually he'd have this daughter or granddaughter named Ruth. And then she would join in and be a spark of holiness brought into the Jewish people. And it's just like, I don't want that to happen. And it's just kind of like, wait, so you don't want the Mashiach to come? That's kind of awkward. This is like you love your sin at that point. And it's just like, wow. So Janice and Jambres did just like Belam. And so Balak and Belam now on the same page. Ooh, that's bad. So it's like two wrongs don't make a right. And apparently they completely just kept going left here. So anyway, uh, the whole backdrop that's kind of being dropped down here is that had it not been for the oral Torah, which is like things like Talmud or things like uh, commentaries, Midrash, Agadah, that we would not have a Mashiach because, you know, Mashiach ultimately descends from David. So if you can wipe out David from Jewish tradition, then you can wipe out the Mashiach because you've just completely destroyed his lineage. So Hashem made it so ingrained within our emuna, within our faith, that we have to have the oral Torah. Because if we don't, we don't have a Mashiach. We don't even know who Mashiach is, what he's supposed to do, because you'll end up just jumping all in the Basora and the the book of Acts and the writings and the letters, and you'll be like, so just, uh, you'll have all these dichotomies and all these... Uh, what am I looking for? These things that just don't go together. It just discrepancies. Yeah, you just have all those going on. And it's just like, man, this is ridiculous. It's like, well, you need to start from the foundation and work your way up. You know, because no one comes into a movie theater and watches a movie from the end all the way to the next movie. It's just like, you've missed so much, you know. Like, I kind of feel bad for those people who, like, come in on, like... I don't know. Uh, let's see here. A sequel. Uh, obviously, I'm about to use a Marvel sequel. So let's go ahead and do Spider-Man. Kind of feel bad if you don't really know um, where that link and where that tie-in is. You know, because it's just like, how does Spider-Man and Tony Parker know each other? Wow, Tony Parker. Peter Parker. How does Spider-Man who is Peter Parker, know, you know, uh, Tony Stark. Like, what happened with that? And it's just like, oh, did you watch Captain America Civil War? And it's like, 
No. It's just like, well, in there, Tony Stark has apparently been spying on Peter Parker, i.e. Spider-Man. And it's just like, so he goes and he's like, meets him. And he's like, hey, you should come join us and we need your help. And it's like, okay, cool. Here's this suit and all this kind of stuff. So they build like this whole relationship. And it's just like, and Spider-Man, homecoming, Spider-Man is like trying to build this like, hey, I want to be a hero. And he's not getting his calls answered. And it's just like. So you got to have like all this background story is what I'm saying. So I'm just telling plots of movies here. It's supposed to be spiritual and holy right now. Okay. So Mashiach, what? Okay. Anyway, so there's this whole backstory with the lineage of Mashiach that includes the oral Torah and its validity. So with that being said, Balak and Amalek are like, no, we don't need oral Torah. Get it out of here. We don't need a David. Get him out of here. No Mashiach. No repair of the sin of Adam. We don't need a second Adam. The first Adam's good enough, and we can just all live happily in our death and misery. And that's just like, wow, that's morbid. And it's like, yep. So, Gamara Yoma over here, or Sleekai Yevamot, and we're going to go to Yevamot 77a. Chazal, oh, remember that word? Sages relate that. The okay, Yitra, a person named Yitra, the Yisraeli, who was originally referred to as Yeter, the Yismaeli, immediately came forward because there's this whole dispute about King David. Is he a Jew? Because you know, apparently in the Torah, well, it is in the Torah, like Devarim 23 4, neither a Ammonite nor Moabite shall enter the congregation of Hashem. Like we can't have any converts from Ammonites or Moabites. But it's like, oh, Ruth was a Moabite. So how in the world did that happen? She couldn't get converted. And if David descends from her, that nullifies his conversion because we can't have an Ammonite or Moabite. So anyway, you have a moat, 77, 76. Uh, is there a 75 going once, going twice? Gone. Okay, anyway. So, 76 and 77 of Tractate Yevamot will break that down for you. So, Yeter comes up here and he says that um, he came forward and said that he, it was, he was girded with a sword like a Yishmaeli, like a Yishmaelite, because you remember the sword is what Hashem gave to the nations. So, this guy equipped himself like one of the nations and said, whoever does not accept this halakha shall be impaled with the sword. Thus, I have received a tradition from the Beit Din, the house of judgment or the house of authority of Shamuel of Ramah, Samuel, the prophet, basically the Torah prohibits an Ammonite male, but not an Ammonite female. It prohibits a Moabite male, but not a Moabitess, a female. Okay? So that links David in, and it says, now that, um, skipping down a little bit, we learn from the Tikkuni Zohar that Malkut, which is kingdom, is called the Torah Sheba al so now, not only is the Torah Sheba Al Pei, the oral Torah called Zaphonat Paneach, it's now called Malkut, which is the kingdom of God. 
So that whole thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That would be make teshuva for Malkut Bayad. The kingdom of Hashem is at hand. Okay. So Torah Shabbat pay. Uh goes on and on, dropping bombs, and it says the Torah Shabbat Al Pei, which Israel diligently study with the brain located in the head. Um, what does that do? They dedicate themselves painstakingly to its study. They are able to subjugate the Kalipa of Babel, which is Balak and Bilam, that opposes the Torah Shabbat Al Pei. So how in the world do you overcome all of the doubt, all of the corruption, all of the riots, all of the nonsense? You have to get in the old Torah. You have to learn it, study it, grow it, apply it to your life. And then it says that uh, Bilam and Balak basically were prompted to evoke joint efforts of Babel and Amalek, who opposed the Torah Sheba al Pei. So if you're anti-Torah, as well as anti-oral Torah, then you're now aligned with Babel and Amalek. You're now sons and daughters of Bilam and, and Balak, which that's the wrong side. So come over here on the other side. Okay. So with that, Balak and Bilam are Babel and Amalek, and they oppose the Torah Sheba al Pei. And it says they have an attempt to annul the ruling that David Hamelech was permitted to marry into the congregation. Nevertheless, Hakadosh Baruch Hu intervened and foiled their plan. And I want to just kind of close this up with the ending here. Uh, the reason why we got on to David is because, you know, all those sacrifices that were made on the three attempts of Bilam to curse the people. If you count those up, that was three times 14. 14 is the gematria for David. Okay, so these sacrifices were David, David, and David. And literally, you know, people, as people, were made up of a three-part spirit. We have a Ruach, a Nefesh, and a Neshama. And so these sacrifices were building up the Ruach, Nefesh, and Neshama of David. Okay, so with that being said, it's just kind of like, say what? Because uh, there's a whole commentary on the section that, you know, these sacrifices, because, you know, when you do sacrifices, you're drawing near to Hashem. Like sacrifices is a terrible word to illustrate what sacrifices really are. Because sacrifices, the Hebrew word is korban, and the word korban means to draw near to Hashem. Literally, karov ben, draw near to the sun. But, you know, that's another drosh, like Vayikra or something. But you have all that going on. And so Balak was actually, through Bilam, being drawn near to Hashem. And through these sacrifices, he merited to have David descend from him. So, yeah, so that's the whole thing about that. So it says that the Midrash teaches us that uh, all of the exile, all the exiles, the peoples of the exiles will be gathered in solely in the merit of the study of 
of the Mishnah, which is the old Torah, part of the old Torah. It says the Holy Gaon Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld emphasizes this point by presenting an amazing allusion to the passage Isaiah 127. Oh, here we go. Yeshi Shout out to my boy. Yeshi Get you some. Okay. It says Zion will be redeemed through justice and those who return to her through Zadaka. The words Zion. God blow it up here. Zion be mishpat tefuda. It says possesses the same. Okay, so uh, basically redeemed through justice and zadaka. Okay, that whole section. So it's basically the Hebrew of that verse. So if you look at the words, the first words. Uh, so Zion. And then it says through justice and through Zadaka will return. Okay, so the phrase in that verse there says possesses the same gematria as Talmud Yerushalayim, which is 1076. So the conclusion of the passage which is Ushuvi Bezadaka. Okay, so Zion will be redeemed through justice is the first phrase that says the Talmud Yerushalayim. So in order to redeem Zion through justice, you have to study the Talmud Yerushalayim. But then if you want to return to her through Zadaka, that's the gematria of Talmud Babli. So redemption happens through the Talmud Yerushalayim. So the oral Torah that was written in Jerusalem, there's two oral Torahs, by the way, I should have pointed that out earlier. Two Mashiachs, two oral Torahs, that's cool. Okay, but anyway, Mashiach himself actually would be like a Talmud Yerushalayim because he was in Yerushalayim teaching Torah and he was, he is literally oral Torah, the mouth of Torah. But um, when we talk about returning from exile, it takes the Babylonian Talmud and it says, thus, in the merit of the Talmud Yerushalayim and the Talmud Babli, Mashiach and the Torah, basically the two main components of Torah Sheba Alpeh, the redemption will come and will return to Zion swiftly in our times. Amen. Okay, so uh, that'll conclude this segment. Uh, still kind of didn't get into the history, but, um, uh, I'm gonna try one more time after this break. So shalom.